Okay, ready? Hey everyone, this is AP Reread. I'm Anna. I'm Allison. I'm and Mel. I'm Sizza. And so, for today's podcast episode, we will be talking about Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. In our AP Literature class, we have been talking about this book and we just finished it. And we're just going to talk about some important themes about it and how there's a lot more depth into it and how this book is so... It talks about certain themes such as trauma, sexism, and pity in ways that me personally, uh, I've never really seen an author do. So I'm going to hand it off. Okay, so I think first we want to talk about sexism. Um, Obviously, there are four ladies in this group, and we have all had our personal experiences with it, but I think the way that Morrison portrays sexism is so, like, sinister and conniving that it's, like, unnoticeable to the bare eye until you really dive deep into it, if someone wants to add to that. I'm thinking... Yeah. Like specific. Oh, sorry. Wait, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I I can totally see how Morrison, she she was very sleek in the way that she portrayed the sexism, because it's something that everyone can relate to today. And even though like this book is kind of old, we can still like relate to it today, which is like really crazy. Yeah. Like we have Mrs. Braidlove who like. She did everything for her family, but she was still put down by her husband. But Morrison wasn't outright like, oh, he was sexist towards her. You know, just the way that she went about it made it very, I don't know, interesting to read. Yeah, and I think just with, like, Geraldine um, and, like, Mrs. Breedlove and everyone um, who, like, is like them, just, like, the fact that they were like trying to fit into this mold that society created for women um that also caused a lot of like the horrible situations to occur um yeah and talking about the sexism and how society has created like these has provoked them to want to mold a certain way i think that can also really connect back to like the insecurity or low self-esteem that is very very heavily present within i could i think i could say like every character in this novel correct me if i'm wrong but for example we have obviously piccola frida and claudia who sort of like i guess idolize but at the same time are so confused by the standard of being a little white girl we can go to Geraldine where she, you know, she wants to be like, you know, that proper woman who has it all pulled, like, has it all put together. And that, those are just some examples of what I was thinking about, the thinking about when discussing the low self-esteem. And it's because since society has these expectations and roles towards women, they want to be like that. And it can even go for the males, too, in the novel. Um, Charlie, you know, he struggles with toxic masculinity and all that you know yeah Yeah. i think and those um those standards still carry in today like when i was reading the part with mr henry um i kind of got the vibe that it was kind of creepy you know like he was like touching the girls when he first met them but you know like society has conditioned us to think that 
it's not weird for a grown man to like um touch a kid like that but you know it's like girls pick up on that guys probably pick up on that too i'm not like discluding them you know but like it's like a heightened awareness and i don't know like yeah sexism which she portrayed in that novel is still like evident today yeah and i remember when we were discussing that certain scene that specific scene you just brought up is uh of how Mr. Henry was interacting with the two girls. I remember when we were first discussing that in class with our teacher and he was saying like, do you guys notice anything odd about this paragraph on how Toni Morrison wrote it? And it said something about how like his hands were, their hands were like moving across his body and it was kind of silent for a little bit. I remember because we were like, uh, what's, what do you mean? Like what's going on? And then, I start trying to like read it again and to me myself I think I'm overthinking it but actually I was wrong I wasn't overthinking it. it I was actually correct it was you know kind of foreshadowing to what Mr. Henry would do the freedom of the future and who knows what he's done to other people obviously but no yeah I thought I think that just kind of shows how it's sort of normalized which like <laughs> when I realized that, I was like, oh, I, why am I normalizing this, like, in myself, internalized, but I also realized I can't really blame that on myself, because it's a societal thing, you know? But it's always good to obviously, like, grow and, like, kind of, like, educate yourself of, like, okay, like, this should be normalized, blah, blah, blah. But I even thought it was surprising for me that I didn't notice that, because, you know, I've dealt with things like that before I will be honest and the fact that even someone who has who has like experienced something weird like that didn't even notice I think that just comes to show like how the sexism is so like like just you know it's not okay it's not okay Mm -hmm. guys yeah and also talking about normalized topics we can like like Fizza and kind of Anna said toxic max- masculinity is so normalized and like we can see that with Charlie like you, when he was like hanging out with I think like his uncle Blue uh, I don't remember his name but um he, he was like with Darlene and stuff and you could kind of see that Morrison was kind of pointing out that Charlie felt like he won't be a man until like he has a girl and that was like kind of the whole thing with Darlene like he he felt like he had to do this to be a man he was just following in Blue's like footsteps yeah I think just to like wrap this section up like the way that Morrison displayed sexism as a whole it wasn't like the main focus of the story you Mm -hmm. know like it was so underlying and um like beneath the covers that on like a surface level read we probably wouldn't have been able to pick up on it but you know that's how it is in real life too and i think that morrison just did an amazing job yeah yeah i really liked how she was able to like you said, the way she like wrote it, and it was not like you know, if you, like if you just scratch the surface, you're not gonna see it. You have to really dig deep into it. And I feel like if I did not have these class discussions, I would not like realize like this huge topic of sexism. And basically, to kind of just end it off, like what you were saying is like, yeah, I really admire how she made her writing very like her writing a reflection of like how 
it is in general with all of us, and when I say all of us, just like society and anyone, you know, in the world, I guess, how it's just kind of like, you know, you don't, like, let's, let's like use Ms. Mc, Mr. McHenry, or Mr. Henry for a quick example. I, there's probably someone, or not probably someone, but I'm sure there's been many times many people have like, you know, given like there's been clues or hints of something like you know sketches going on like that you know with children and an adult or anything like that but we're so just like distracted by you know life and how everything's fast-paced and focus on ourselves that we miss how like others are being hurt or damaged so yeah which brings us into the next topic which is trauma so if allison if you want to talk about that a little bit yeah um something kind of I guess it's more of a side note, not so much of a big topic that I wanted to point out was like, Charlie obviously had his own trauma, you know, when he was younger with the whole Darlene thing, but his last name is Breedlove. He does not breed love. Mm. He, That's <laughs> funny, yeah. He, like, <laughs> creates, like, hostile situations and, like, painful situations and more trauma. Like with like Pacola, so I thought that was just interesting and worthy of pointing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I think that like also with um, Mrs. Breedlove, the trauma is evident in her too. Like no matter how small it may be, it's still there too. And I think yeah. that definitely and, you know, some people in the way that she takes it out on Pacola. Like, the way that she processes that trauma is, is, like, evident in that. Yeah. And, like, you know, some people deal with it in different ways. Like, we see um, Mrs. Breedlove is, like, so adapted to her trauma. Same with Geraldine. Like, they're so adapted to their trauma that it's just become a way of life. Whereas with Pacola, she literally goes mad. She goes insane. And I think that the juxtaposition of the two is like so evident that like trauma can like affect your life so hugely you know yeah because we see Charlie being like a normal kid like pretty much but you you have to like think like like you're saying Morrison is really good at how like the way that she writes I remember talking about in class like we feel bad for Charlie because we see like all the trauma that he's like been through like he was abandoned when he was a baby his like his only parental figure died he didn't really have anyone and like his own dad like you know he abandoned him again for the second time when he tried to reach out to him so Morrison wants to make us feel bad but she wants us to, like, see the trauma that he went through to make himself, like, the monster he is. Yeah, I also think another reason why she did that, which I thought was really interesting, because usually it's like, this person's bad and this person's good. Um, well, I'm not saying Charlie is good, like, come on, he's, no, no, he's, Charlie's canceled 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie is over party. But, um, <laughs> no, I thought it was interesting because... I feel like it was also a reflection on just like how it like I feel like that's very applicable to us humans in general like even today even though we've like like you know progressed and you know people are more understanding of trauma still today 
people are very like quick to just be like oh that person was just born bad like they're bad like no one is born evil unless you're like a like crazy magical mystical creature so, yeah <laughs> but no one no one is born like evil like that like a baby is not born evil you know like they everyone has different it's society that shapes yeah, and, like, everyone the environment is... where they grew up in yeah exactly yeah. that's what I was gonna say like everyone has a different upbringing and I think I, I wanted to bring this up in class but I didn't but I think that was another reason why Morrison did that to kind of show like okay yeah Charlie's a bad person but just understand like no one is born like that and this happens because of other people and that's like the bigger issue you know it's not like we're not born with these evil yeah. thoughts or cruel intentions like that is like 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 Charlie like like we saw with Charlie's upbringing like that was just like with his experiences he and unfortunately ended up turning out like that and turned out to be a horrible person and yeah I did feel bad for him that he that that happened I will admit I did feel bad for him for a couple minutes like wow this sucked but at the end of the day I was just like okay yeah he's still a bad person but at least I know I'm able to understand that like he wasn't like that at first and unfortunately a, a bigger problem is that that's how he grew up and the people surrounding him caused him to be like that so yes he's part of the and then unfortunately he keeps that cycle going that traumatic cycle yeah was gonna he keeps it going with Pic- like Picola, like- his daughter and like with his wife and all that and i think that's just oh it's so, it like literally breaks my heart to see that happen because i know I don't know if it's like based on a true story or something, but like this happens. That's the thing. Like this happens. I've seen it with my own eyes where it's just a cycle and it's just so hard to break. But then also another thing I keep in mind is that, you know, I guess the, a real test could be like, I don't want to say a real test, but humans do have the ability of like switch it around. I know people that have switched it around and ended those cycles. And I think that's actually something that's very prevalent or like heavily like visible today. Like the you know there's a thing of like going like mm-hmm. cutting off like toxic family cycles and all that. Not saying oh like leaving your family but you're able to like you know kind of make a stand and I that's something I'm really like proud of, you know, Gen Z that is like a lot of them are able to do that but i think that's something that's so like tragic to like read when you're like watching this story happen and it like makes me feel so bad but at the same time it's like okay humans also have the chance to switch it around yeah yeah i think just like it's not just like familial cycles it's like society cycles we see that with like what we were talking about earlier the sexism we see that with her themes of racism as well and we still experience those today but obviously you know we're trying to break those cycles um and and i just want to talk about what you said earlier like you feel bad for them and i think pity is also a theme in this book do you want to talk about that some more oh yes that was okay not gonna lie guys uh, that transition was not planned and that was pretty smooth so I'll um, snap to us. Thank you, Allison, for snapping. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this was another thing we discussed in class as well, which I thought was very, like, I feel like it kind of humbled everyone in the discussion. Not like, I'm not like, you know, mm-hmm. like, subtweet or whatever, you know, I don't have any beef with anyone. But what I mean is, like, I think that's something that humbles everyone when you talk about that. Like, like even if we aren't being intentional about being selfish with pity pity 
we were talking with our teacher and we concluded that pity is like you know it's like a selfish thing because you feel bad for the person but then you feel bad because then you're like wow they have it worse than me like I don't know can someone elaborate that I feel like I couldn't really word that right but that's kind of like how I'm starting off with this like pity idea yeah like sometimes somebody's situation is just so far out of our reach to even think about understanding to where it's like we don't actively think about being selfish but like our default is oh I feel bad because I'm not them and Mm -hmm. and yeah that whole like selfish idea when you take a step back and think about it that way it's it's crazy that we default to that I feel like it's a way to make yourself feel better about yourself like it's a way to build self-confidence but in like a narcissistic way Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's so common like even today like if you go on any social media you see like a post about someone like having something bad happen to them you see flooding of pity comments and it's just so it's so sad to see that but i think like fizz brought it up in a discussion before that like there is a very fine line between just pity and then empathy and actually feeling what somebody feels and that's really hard to do because mm-hmm. because it's hard to not insert yourself in somebody else's narrative and to really just look at it mm-hmm from somebody else's point of view so it's it's just hard to make it not selfish because we're so used to doing that yeah i think another reason why it's also selfish is like not only does okay not only do some people use it as like a way to like oh wow like i have it so good but people also use it another way to be like wow i'm such a good person i'm like apologizing to this person and saying i feel bad for them like wow this makes me better because it seems like i care and i honestly think that is something I think it's so crazy how this book, like, the themes in this book are so applicable to today. That is something that is very, very, like, you know, that's being used a lot, you know, for obvious reasons with, like, the BLM movement and all that. And, like, you know, even COVID, too, people are saying, are trying to, like, say they understand someone and certain people's experiences they really but what but they don't and i think that's the fine line that biza is sort of talking about like you need to be very very careful with that because sometimes it may just seem like you're trying to be like i'm not saying this is exactly it but a lot of time it can sometimes be an example of like what's it called super superior complex or something like that yeah yeah Yeah, so like yeah if you want to like talk about that fine line you were like kind of talking of like yeah so like at the end we see like the town's pity versus claudia and frida's empathy and i think just like it's a good notion when done genuinely but like we see like um like earlier we read a piece um nobakov's like rules of reading or whatever it was um but like it's better to not insert yourself into the character's shoes and feel sorry for them and like empathize with them because like then you're just using your own experiences to to sort of feel how they felt even though you haven't experienced anything like Pecola she went through something traumatic and for us to say that oh we empathize with you or like for Claudia and Frida to say oh we empathize with you without ever having gone through that like yes you can feel sorry for her but that's where i think that i kind of differ from what we said in discussions like i think sympathy in some cases might be better Mm -hmm. than empathy because you know like i cannot say that i empathize with 
Hakola because I have never been through a situation like her, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I, I will never know the trauma so deep that she had to go through. Like, yes, I have trauma of my own, but I cannot speak to hers. Yeah, you know? I totally, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not, like, I, you word it so perfectly. I think you're very articulate with your words, so I applaud you for that. No, yeah. Thank you. Anna. But, yeah, I feel like, like you said, like, oh, yeah, I understand you. It's like, no, you don't. Like, if I told someone, if someone told me yeah, that with my own trauma, I'd be like, no, you don't. You don't understand, because I feel like it would be such a different approach. And I feel like when people say that too, it's sort of like, what's the right word to say this? If, yeah, minimizes. Yeah, yeah it like lines up, I guess, like whatever's happening. It's like, no, like this is serious. It's individual me. You can't, in the like particular to me, you can't say that. And I feel like when people do say that, it's kind of like you said, it minimizes that. And then it's like, because if someone says, I'm like, okay, you understand me, so what? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so like I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you liked our discussion yeah. today. Um, again, this is AP Reread with Allison, Anna, and Fizza. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.